Have you considered what Major League Baseball has in common with ancient kings and ancient kingdoms? What does it share with current world leaders? Anything with the Church of Jesus Christ? How about with you and with me? Welcome to In the Bullpen with Mark Dewey. You're listening to the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Thank you for joining us. And look who's coming up. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! So what does Major League Baseball have in common with any of those things that I just mentioned? Who knows? I'm not answering the question with a question. What I'm saying is, what we all have in common is the response... Who knows? Especially after what has been going on for these last several weeks. If we're honest, we have to use that answer quite a bit. If somebody says, what do you think things will be like next week? Honesty would demand, who knows? How about a month from now? Who knows? Looking back even one year from today and asking, what are things going to be like on the other side of this? And hopefully we're on the other side of this by a year from now. The answer again should be, who knows? We share that in common. We do not know. So many things we do not know, but we do know some things, and I know one thing for sure, and that is that if through all of this we are not taking James's words seriously, the words that he writes when he tells us that we shouldn't be saying today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a city, we'll continue there, we'll buy, we'll sell, we'll make a profit, but instead we ought to realize that our life is but a vapor. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And what we ought to say is, if the Lord wills, we'll live, and we will do this or that. If we refuse to take the words of God through the Apostle James seriously, we need to be hit upside the head with a fungo bat. That's something I do know. I also know some events that have been taking place over the last several days in baseball. On a sadder note, Jimmy Wynn, nicknamed the Toy Cannon, died in Houston at the age of 78. He got that nickname because he stood only 5 feet 9 inches tall, but he hit some absolute bombs. He played most of his 15-year career in one of the largest stadiums in baseball, the Astrodome, and yet had 291 career home runs. He was with Houston from 1963 to 1973, so from the time that they were called the Houston Colt 45s until they changed their name to the Houston Astros. He has passed away at the age of 78, and our prayers go out to his family and to his friends. I also know that if there is baseball in the 2020 season, three significant primary starting pitchers will not be taking the mound. Luis Severino with the Yankees, Chris Sale with the Red Sox, and most recently, just a week ago or so, Noah Syndergaard with the New York Mets will not see action in 2020. They have all undergone Tommy John surgery and will not be back until 2021, sometime at the earliest. Usually it's going to be a year to 15 months if all goes well, before they can take the mound again. Now, I also do not know podcast protocol. I'm guessing that it's probably not typically a good idea to direct people to other podcasts in the in the same category, in this case baseball, because they might tune you out to tune them in. But I am going to follow the words of Jesus when he says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Because if I had not known about these interviews, I would want somebody to tell me about them. The interviews took place with Buster Olney. He was the interviewer. 
And they were on his podcast, the Baseball Tonight podcast. And the two that I really enjoyed last week were uh, the Monday interview with Dave Roberts and then the next day, I believe it was, with Billy Ripken. First, the Dave Roberts interview. The focus of the interview, he, of course, is the manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers right now, but the focus of the interview was when he was a player and he was a player for the Boston Red Sox. In particular, 2004, Game 4 of the ALCS against the Yankees. The Red Sox were down three games to none in the series. They were losing in the ninth inning, 4-3 to to the Yankees, about to be eliminated. Mariano Rivera was on the mound. So it's not a very good situation any way you look at it. But of course, Dave Roberts stole second base. Bill Miller then drove him in with a single up the middle. Billy Miller was a former teammate of mine. Dave Roberts scores, extra innings, big poppy, big fly, game over. 3-1 is now the series. The Red Sox go on to win the next three. They become the first team in history to come back, being down 3 to nothing in a series to win the series. And then, of course, they went, in, went on to win the World Series for the first time in 86 years. But what fascinated me about the interview was when Dave Roberts was talking about events that happened prior to that night. He spoke about a time in the regular season that same year in which he was on first base and it was against the Yankees and Mo was on the mound. And he also talked about another situation against the Angels earlier that year. And then he brought up the instruction that he received on the backfields in Dodgertown when Maury Wills was telling him about how to steal bases. All of those things played into Dave Roberts stealing that base in the most crucial of situations. It's a fascinating story because all of those things can't be measured and they couldn't even be known unless Dave Roberts shared the story with us. The next day, Buster only interviewed Billy Ripken. They were talking in large part about his book, State of Play, The Old School Guide to New School Baseball. And Billy said some things in that interview that really resonated with me. You know how it is when somebody who has more experience and more knowledge and carries more authority says something that you have said, something that you have embraced in the past. And that happened on a couple of different occasions. And like I said, it really resonated with me. To get an idea of what Billy talked about a little bit, Listen to this. I know. I was impressed by his uh, impersonation of Edwin Starr myself. He didn't actually say war wasn't good for nothing, absolutely nothing, but he did have some qualms with it. And again, in agreement with some of the thoughts that I've had, when you talk about wins above replacement, and you say a guy is a zero war or a .5 war, the problem I have is that it almost it implies that you can just go pluck somebody out of the minor leagues, even the upper level of the minor leagues, to do the same job as the guy who has a zero war. I don't think that's necessarily the case, and neither did Billy Ripken. And the other thing he brought up was that he thinks that catchers being rated by their framing capacities is overrated, and it, it brought to my mind a conversation that I had with one of our catchers back when I was the pitching coach in Brevard County seven or eight years ago. In this game, I was not happy with the strike zone of the umpire. Now, I will say it is the first and only game where that's been the case. But anyway, in between innings, I, I'm pretty sure it was Brent Dean who was catching that day. In between innings, he came in and I said to him, I said, is the umpire telling you that you're taking pitches out of the strike zone? And he said, oh, yeah, all the time. And I told him, I said, listen, Next time he says that to you, tell him, quit talking manifest nonsense. I said, by the time you receive the ball, you're anywhere from three to five feet 
behind the strike zone, whether you're talking about the front of the plate or the back of the plate. It's impossible for you to take a pitch out of the strike zone. It long went through or didn't the strike zone before it ever got to you. And Billy Ripken talked about that as well. So two interviews that I would highly recommend that you listen to. Now, I heard a third interview that got me fired up. When it started, I thought, oh boy. I even turned it off and some of my family was listening to it. And I said, let's see where this goes. And it got me fired up. Now, Lord willing, in the bullpen will drop every Monday. But occasionally, I think there's going to be some in between those Mondays. And this interview might prompt me to drop another podcast sometime before next Monday. If that's something you'd be interested in, let me know. But I think I may do it because this has got me fired up. But let's return back to the present day. We're in the midst of no baseball. By my count, it's the 11th time in history that the baseball season has been interrupted for some length of time. Of course, the last major interruption was 1994 and 1995 with a player strike. I remember walking out of the clubhouse in Pittsburgh at Three Rivers Stadium and thinking to myself, we'll be off for a couple of weeks. Maybe around September 1st, we'll be back playing baseball. Well, that didn't happen. The rest of the regular season was canceled. The postseason was canceled. And for the first time since 1904, there was no World Series. And it left a bitter taste in a lot of people's mouths, including players, fans, everybody. If you remember, there were some special things going on that year. The Expos were on pace to win 106 games. Matt Williams, I think, had a legitimate chance at breaking Roger Maris's home run record before it was broken later on by McGuire and Sosa and Bonds. That season, he was at 43. And he was on pace, I believe, for about 61. And when he got hot hitting home runs, they came in bunches. Also, nobody has hit 400 since Ted Williams did it in 1941. But that season, Tony Gwynn, when the strike hit, was batting 394. And then the strike continued into the next season. And the season started 1995, three weeks late. I believe there were 144 games played. And that whole incident left a lot of people bitter. They just saw complete selfishness uh, on greediness, both by the players and the owners. Well, this work stoppage is obviously different. The players and the owners are essentially at uh, the mercy of local, state, and federal governments in trying to determine if and when baseball can get going again. But we're in the midst of a, a significant stoppage right now. And there are a number of things that have happened over the last couple of days. The players unanimously voted on Thursday and then the owners on Friday to agree to a number of things. Here's some of them. I think I've got them all, but here are some of them. First of all, they've agreed on service time. So usually service time is based on 172 days, and you get a quarter of a season or certain days, half, and the like. This year, service time is going to be based on the percentage of games played. So let's just say for the sake of ease, there's 100 games that are played this year. A person that is playing on the active or the injured list for that time will get a full year's credit for service. If there are 100 games and I play in 50 of them, I'll get credited for half a year service time. If there are no games played at all in 2019, then whatever service time a player had, I'm sorry, in 2020, whatever service time a player had in 2019 will be what he receives for 2020. Any games or any suspensions of less than 80 games will be considered served if there are games in 2020, but if not, they will roll over into 2021. Some salary issues were agreed upon. There's going to be $170 million, about 3 to 4% of the salary distributed for the early part of the season. It's going to be advanced. 
If there is no season, the players do not have to give the money back. If there is a season, then their salary salary will be prorated based upon how much of the season there is. Now, what I'm not sure about, there have been some reports, both about minor league players as well as non-playing minor league personnel and even even uh, organizational personnel that aren't on the playing field, it appears that they might be paid through the end of April. But I, I still can't tell for sure if that is going to happen. It's something that we need to keep an eye on. As it regards rosters, after Saturday, all transactions were frozen and they will not pick up again until some time to be determined in the future. Again, a, a report that came out through NBC Sports says that for the first month of the season, if there is a season, the roster will be at 29 and then go back to 26. I still, again, have not seen whether this is a definitive thing or not. Now, here's a big one, and I'll kind of bring it all together in one group. First of all, all professional scouts have been called off the road for quite some time now. They're, they're all at home. They're not scouting. Of course, there's nothing to scout, at least in the United States. They've all been at home. And this agreement dealt both with the upcoming draft in 2020 as well as the international signing period. As far as the draft is concerned, there will be as few as five rounds and a maximum of 10 rounds in this year's draft. The draft could happen in the dates that it was originally scheduled, June 10 through 12, but it needs to happen by July 20th. Also, there will be a minimum of 20 rounds in 2021. How many more than that? We don't know. As it regards bonuses, for somebody that signs, uh, let's say, a million-dollar signing bonus that's drafted this year, they will get paid only $100,000 up front. Then they will get $450,000 by July of 2021 and the other $450,000 by July of 2022. There's a cap. If you're an undrafted free agent, the maximum signing bonus is going to be $20,000. The slot values, the maximum slot values that you can pay drafted players is going to remain the same for the next two years. Usually it goes up by about 3% a year. Teams cannot trade draft picks or international bonus slots, both for 2020 and 2021. And this is an interesting one. Major League Baseball has the right to run a combine for amateur players if they want to do so in both 20 and 2021. When you look at it here in the United States, there may be a huge influx into college baseball because of this, in particular, community college baseball. Because high school guys who otherwise might want to sign may choose to go to a community college. When you do that, you're eligible for the draft the next year. If you go to a four-year college, you have to wait till your junior year is completed or you reach 21 years of age. So we may see uh, community college baseball step up in the talent level, and we may see some of the best athletes choosing to go to the major college programs, given what's going on. Now, as it regards the international signing period, usually that goes from July 2nd, so going back July 2nd of 2019, through June 15 of 2020, then there's a two-week break, and then the new signing period starts up again on July 2nd. MLB has shut has has decided that that's not going to happen, that it can be pushed back as late as January 15th, 2021. Now, we talk about the impact in the United States. When we're talking about this international signing period, you're talking about people in Latin American countries, and in particular in the Dominican Republic, in which even what we would consider to be a modest signing bonus is life-changing money for many of the people that live down in those countries. This is going to have a big impact, a life impact on these players, depending on how all it flushes out. Something else we know, 
Major League Baseball has shut down all its stadiums and all its spring training sites, with a few exceptions. Players who cannot go home, and again, Venezuela, the Dominican Republic, places like that, it's often not easy. And the question is, if you do, player or coach, are you going to be able to come back whenever it's possible from the United States standpoint? Players that can't go home can be there, and people that need medical treatment, which would be rehabbers, they, they can also be there. But that's it. Finally, Tony Clark says that the players are open whenever the season begins, if it does, to play in empty stadiums, to play at neutral sites, to play a lot of double headers, and even to play late into November. He says the players just want to play. So we know all of that. But the one thing that was not agreed upon is that there are no agreements as it regards the 2020 schedule or the 2020 postseason. And we know that right now, there's really no way to do that. I'm sure that they're working through contingency plans, but nothing is known at this time. We don't know what's going to happen as it regards the season or the postseason. Now, recently, Rob Manfred was on the MLB Network with Matt Vaskersian, and he had this to say about scheduling and postseason. It's very difficult um, to give you a concrete idea and schedule until we understand exactly how much time we're going to have available to, to us. I, I can say some things generally. Number one, um, we are committed to playing as many baseball games as we can possibly play in 2020, consistent with the public health considerations. Um, we are open um, and have had a very positive dialogue um, with the Players Association about adjustments to the traditional scheduling rules that would allow us to play more games, um, allow us to do travel a little more aggressively than we've done in the past. Um, or we do traditionally in order to maximize the number of games that we can deliver to our fans. We're also focused on the postseason um, with a shorter regular season. I think it opens up the possibility of enhanced postseason play, maybe more play. Uh, we were talking about more postseason play even before this happened, and it might create an opportunity, uh, provided we can make an agreement with the Players Association, to experiment with some of those newer ideas. A lot of good information there, uh, and I'm grateful for it. But ultimately, what he's saying is, who knows? And what he ought to be saying is, if the Lord wills. But all of these things are still up in the air. Some other things that maybe most people haven't thought about, what about the Hall of Fame induction ceremonies? Right now, they're scheduled for the weekend of July 24th through the 27th. Are they going to be able to take place? How about guys that are playing now? If this whole season is missed, will that have any impact on certain players and the possibility of of getting into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Recently, too, in the last week or so, uh, the Olympics have been postponed. They are looking at possibly having them in 2021. This Olympics in Japan was going to reintroduce baseball into it, and the World Baseball Classic is scheduled for 2021. Now, I know that the players that play in the Olympics and the World Baseball Classic don't overlap too much, but still you have, I believe, like what happened the first World Baseball Classic is both the Olympics and the World Baseball Classic potentially in the same year. And then something that may seem very minor, but I'm sure there are a lot of communities that, that, that don't think so. The Major League Baseball Players Alumni Association goes around the country and even outside the country putting on free clinics, free coaching clinics, free cl clinics for children. Those have all had to be stopped. And so a lot of communities that have former Major League players coming in and, and being a part of that, they won't be able to do that for quite some time. I was blessed. I had the, my pri the privilege for the first time to do a clinic last fall down in Pigeon Forge, and it was just a wonderful experience. 
So those are some of the things we know and some of the things we don't know. Where do we go from here? Well, we started hearing Vin Scully, and he took to Twitter just a couple of days ago and said a lot of things. Among them was this. Anyway, these are tough times. Certainly, I don't have to tell you that. But having lived as long as I have lived, I've seen this country, the greatest country on earth, get off its knees, literally and figuratively, when they were down and out during the Depression and when they were on their knees after the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. Get off our knees. That, of course, means we're on our knees. And that's what we need to be doing. At the beginning, I asked what Major League Baseball had in common with ancient kings and kingdoms. Who knows was the answer, but what was I referring to? I was referring to two kings, one who was dealing with personal sin and one who was dealing with national sin. David, King David, was dealing with his personal sin after committing adultery and murder, and a child born to Bathsheba was not doing well physically, and David was praying that the Lord would spare him, and then the child died. And when his servants told him, and David got up, and they, they, they were shocked at how he responded, he said, I was praying because who knows whether God will be gracious to me. The other king was the king of Nineveh. And after Jonah went preaching that Nineveh needed to repent, the king called the whole nation to repent in sackcloth and ashes. And he said, who knows if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not. That's what we need to do. You and me, the church, our country, Major League Baseball. We need to get on our knees and repent so that we can get up, up off our knees and seek to live to the glory of God. When we look at the game that we love and that we are missing so much, we need to look also at the culture where we live and then to the church where we worship. And finally, we need look, to look in the mirror where we wash. I believe baseball is a microcosm of our culture. Henry Van Til said that culture is religion externalized. And if we are correct, then it follows that baseball is a microcosm of our religion externalized. Do I seriously believe this? I most certainly do. But that's a conversation for another day. So join us next time for In the Bullpen on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Thank you for listening. <laughs>